Just take your Bibles once again and turn to the epistle of James, James chapter 5. What a blessing it is to come together as God's people, to sit under God's word. If you are joining us via live stream, I welcome you as well. I know many among us, as I mentioned earlier, um, and as was prayed, many are sick and unable to be here. So welcome if you are joining us in that way. What a blessing it is to have God's word. It is God's word, and he speaks in it and to us through it this morning. Um, it is alive and active, and we, we need it. We need God's Word, and so what a blessing it is to have it. Last Sunday, we looked at James um, four, uh, 5, 14 through 18, and tried to understand what this text means in relation to God healing the sick. And um, the anointing with oil and praying prayers of faith. And, and we looked at the process. We looked at the prayer. We looked at the example of prayer that we saw in Elijah there. And as I was preparing that sermon, I really felt like there was more I wanted to say. And had in, um, originally planned to, to share um, what I'm about to share with you this morning. Um, had originally planned to do that Sunday evening. And, and the service was canceled. And so I... Uh, decided to pick this up this morning and, and uh, kind of center on this text a little bit more. This is somewhat of a topical sermon on prayer, so bear with me if you will. Um, but I think we need to think about prayer. And um, as I mentioned last week to you, James kind of bookends his epistle with this teaching on prayer. Um, and we need prayer. We need God's work among us. And if we think about the events of the last, I guess we should say, two years now, if, you would have, uh, if we would have discussed what might happen um, in a conversation that we maybe could have had three years ago about what the next three years would look like, I don't think we would have predicted what we have seen. Um, continuing and, and violent outbursts of, of racial violence and, and um, uh, division and um, a global pandemic and um, disputed elections and and we could go on and on about the the things that trouble us in the world today and and rightly many of us have responded by saying we need to pray and we certainly do and I trust that that is the cry of your heart because I sense that God is calling us to pray we need to pray we need to pray for revival we need to pray for God's work among us so that his name and in glory is furthered in our lives and in the world around us. So I want us to look at this text once again, and as I said last week, we'll look at it a little more broadly and think about how it applies to our lives, to every one of us. So let us go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll read this text together. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing that it is that that it is not just a dead ancient book, but it is inspired by God himself through the Holy Spirit, through the pens of, of living men who wrote these words for our benefit. Lord, we need it. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, so we pray that, oh God, that your word would go in cutting and come out cutting, that it would do the work that we need in our hearts this morning. Lord, we're trusting in you. We need you. We pray, O oh God, that the words of our mouth and the my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, Lord, would be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. James 5, beginning with verse 13. 
Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word this morning. This text, as we said last week, is all about prayer. And the fact that prayer should really permeate and cover everything, every circumstance, everything we do in our life. Prayer is always appropriate. And I am grateful that I am among people that believe in the power of prayer. So I hope that as I preach this, you don't think that I'm coming with, at you with a stick to say you don't believe in prayer. But I do want to challenge us in it. And I think that often we come to prayer wondering how it is done. I remember a, year, a number of years ago when we uh, decided to homeschool our oldest son, we had a lot of ideas in our head and we had desires and, and things we thought we wanted to pursue, but we weren't sure how to get it done. And we learned of some, some veteran homeschoolers in our community at that time who were hosting a conference and they called it, Yes, But How? Just three, those three words, Yes, But How? And I thought, what an odd name for a seminar but yet it really struck a chord with me because that was exactly what I was saying at that time. Yes, I wanted to homeschool, but how do I do it? I think that's true also when it comes to prayer. We read God's word and we see God's promises concerning prayer. We want to pray. We know we're expected to pray as believers, but often we struggle in how to do it and how to do it well. So we want to consider this issue of prayer, but I, I don't while this sermon does seek, in a sense, to answer that question, I'm not necessarily simply going to give you a method for prayer. It's not a 12-step or a 5-step method for prayer. I do have four points, but it's more about what is prayer. Because it is as we understand what prayer is, as we, as we grasp what Scripture teaches about God and our communication with God, it is then that our prayers can be strengthened and emboldened, and, and, and to become prayers of faith that we can and should and want to be praying as believers. Because it's a right understanding of prayer, I think, that equips us to pray properly. Now, we still, of course, have to do it. We still have to put it into practice. I remember when I was an intern at, at First Presbyterian Church Jackson, we we were, I was leading a, a, a discipleship group, they called it, and, and I suggested that we do a book on prayer. And there was an older saint there that she said, well, we need to talk less about prayer and we need to pray more. Well, in a sense, she's right, because certainly we have to put into action what we learn from God's Word. So my encouragement to you is to take what we think about this morning and put it into action. I give you four points to think about as we think about prayer. The prayer of faith is, number one, informed. Secondly, it is confident. 
It is also dependent and it is hopeful. As I was thinking about this and, and, and thinking about how to give you some practical guidelines for prayer, I ended up with about seven things, but I've, I've tried to distill them down into four points here. Informed, confident, dependent, and hopeful. The first thing we say about prayer is that it is informed. And by that I mean you have to know to whom you are praying. Now, when you meet a stranger, you can have a conversation with them, but it's pretty superficial. It's a pretty high-level conversation. But as you get to know people better, you have deeper and more intimate conversations with them. We have to know to whom we're praying. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the model prayer that he gave them in Matthew 6, he said, pray like this. And then at the first thing he said was, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. By that, he establishes to whom we are praying and how we approach prayer. It teaches us about God. Prayer has been defined as a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. God has revealed himself to us. And it is as we know and understand more about God that we can pray as we ought. He has condescended to us. He has covenanted with us. In his mercy, he has provided a way of salvation for us. And were it not for any of all of these things, we could not come to him in prayer. So prayer is a response to our knowledge of God. Of course, we don't have to have an exhaustive knowledge of God. None of us do, nor can we, because God is God and we are not. God says that he keeps the secret things about himself hidden from us, but he has revealed himself in and through his word, so we can know about him. I challenged the listeners last week, and especially those that, that do not know Christ as their Savior, that the prayer they need to pray is the sinner's prayer that the publican prayed when he was humbled in the temple, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Even that simple prayer speaks volumes about God. It recognizes that God is God, that he is the one to whom we should pray, that he is a, is he is a holy God, that he is offended by our sins. It also recognizes that God can and will forgive the sinner when they cry. Now much could be said about the knowledge of God. In fact, a whole series of sermons could be preached concerning God's attributes. And much has been written that is helpful for the church in this regard. But I just want to call three things to your attention as we think about praying prayers that are informed. First of all, when we pray, we have to recognize that God is sovereign. We've already in our worship, and, and often I love the fact that we point to the fact that God is sovereign, that he rules and reigns, that he is, he is in the heavens, as the psalmist says, he has done whatsoever he has pleased. He is the great God of creation. And the psalmist continually draws us into praise as we think about who God is and what he has done. And often we, we can and should adore God in our prayers by recounting his wondrous acts. The psalmist does that, um, in fact, in Psalm 8. He has set his glory above the heavens. 
He called the heavens the work of God's fingers. Of course, God is not a person. He is a spirit. But yet the psalmist thinks in terms of humans because he is a human. And he was a human. And we are humans. And we think about God in certain ways. God has created the glorious expanse of the heavens. I was reading an article this week that, that was actually seeking to answer the question, did God create extraterrestrial life? This is, this is, I'm, I'm not going to go too far afield here. But, but one of the reasons people ask that question is because the universe is so vast. I remember a, a few years ago when looking at the stars on a, on a very dark night in the middle of Kansas and, and seeing so many stars, and somebody had some night vision uh, optical uh, binoculars and I put those on and it was just like all these other stars jumped out at me all of a sudden and I was amazed and then I thought I can all these stars I could not see with the naked eye how many stars are behind those that that this instrument could not see and we look at the vastness of the heavens and some people wonder there must be some other life out there there doesn't have to be life out there God made this is 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 God limited by the earth, he, the, the worlds he has made? Of course not. It only speaks to his glory and his vastness. God created, one of the reasons God created the world so vast is for his glory. And so that we can be, begin to understand in a small measure how big God is. But that's the God to whom we pray. And I think sometimes we fail to recognize God's glory and his sovereignty and his vastness. And his omnipotence as we pray. We have to think of God's sovereignty. Secondly, we have to think of God's omniscience as we pray. God knows everything. He is the source of all wisdom. So what does that mean for your prayers? Well, it means that he knows you. The psalmist said in Psalm 103, he knows your frame. In other words, he knows how you're made. He knows everything about your body. He knows everything there is to know about the coronavirus. If you are listening this morning and are affected by that. He knows everything about our physical being. He knows our heart. Psalm 139 says that he discerns our thoughts from afar. He knows the words that we're going to speak even before we form them with our tongue. He knows our hearts. So he knows your needs, your trials, your sufferings, your fears, your anxiety, your pains, your temptations, and your weaknesses. God knows everything about you. The Apostle Paul said at the end of, of his glorious sermon about God's salvation, he had to just stand in awe, and you picture him kind of dropping his hands and saying... Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been a case counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him all are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God is the source of all wisdom. So we must trust in God's sovereignty. We must trust in his glorious and gracious wisdom. And we must remember that God is love. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that simply, that God is love. 
The psalmist tells us that he is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Zephaniah 3, and, and this is a passage that had escaped me until I reached adulthood, that God loves us so much that he sings over us. What a glorious thought that the God of creation sings over his children, that he delights in us in that way. Now there's much more that can be said about knowing God and understanding who he is. But those, those three things help inform our, our prayers. Because we know that God loves us. And he delights in giving us good things. Now we are human and we don't always know what is good and right and best. But God is omniscient and he does know. He knows what we need. And he's omnipotent and sovereign and he has the power to give us what we need. We need to pray informed prayers. And those informed prayers should give us confidence in our prayers as we move on to the next point. Praying a prayer of faith means praying with bold confidence that God can and will work all things for our good. We're reminded of, of, a, of a scripture that I trust is, is often in your mind, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So what then is the ground of our confidence? Well, we have much to, to, to base that confidence on. We have God's word, as we have just said, the, the promises of God's word that when we pray, he answers, that he delights in giving us good things, that we can ask and seek and knock and he will hear and answer, that he will give us our petitions that we desire when we ask according to his will. Another ground of our confidence certainly is our union with Christ. We have been united with him. As we, as we read earlier from Romans 6, we've been united with him in a death like his, and we will be united with him in a resurrection like his. We are mysteriously and gloriously united with Christ. He lives in us as believers in the Lord Jesus. We have also been adopted into God's family, and God is our Father. As we said before, we're told to pray to him as our Father in heaven. And he delights in giving us good things to his children. We're reminded in Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's already given us the greatest gift that he can give us. Do you think God would be chintzy in, in giving us other good things that are for our good? And we need to look for answers. We need to pray with boldness and confidence and look for answers. I've been guilty of this too many times, I'll confess, that, that I pray not really thinking about what the answered prayer is going to look like. But we see examples of that. We see Elijah did that. When he prayed that it would rain, um, as, as this, this text points to that incident where it didn't rain and then he prayed and it did, he sent his servant to look for a cloud. But the, the servant didn't find it at first. He came back and said, no, Elijah, there's no, there's no cloud. He said, go look again. And again, he came back and there was no cloud. He sent him seven times and finally there was a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, prepare for the abundance of rain. He was trusting God. He was expecting answers. We think of Hannah when she prayed for a son. She was without a son. And she prayed and, and she was so broken and grief-stricken and, and, and desirous to have a son. 
that uh, Eli thought she was drunk. But yet Eli spoke the word of the Lord to her and said, you will have a son. And even though she was not expecting yet, she took the word of the Lord and was, was content in God's promise that God had answered her prayers. We need to look for answers in seeking to build confidence. So what does answered prayer look like? Well, when you pray for healing and God heals you, that's very easy to see. When you don't have a job and you pray for a job and the Lord provides a job, then you say, God answered my prayers. But sometimes our prayers are a little harder to tease out than that. Sometimes our prayers are, are difficult. What about when you have a difficult relationship in your family? A family member that, that you are having trouble working things out with. Or a situation at work that just seems like it, 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 you don't see the resolution for it. What do you do? How do you expect answers in situations like that? Well, it takes much prayer. It takes much dependence upon the Holy Spirit in those moments. It takes reading God's word and seeking God to conform you to Christ's image. And it does involve, I think, that we should think about, Lord, what would you want to do? How would you be glorified in this situation? Certainly the, the reconciliation of fractured relationships is, is, I think, honoring to God. But we also should pray, in everything, thy will be done. So how do we build confidence in our prayers? Well, we talked last week about the fact that that we can and should pray God's word back to him. I was reading this week in a, in a devotional about this very fact, and it pointed to the story from Numbers 13 and 14, where, if you'll remember, the spies went into the land, and they sent 12 spies, one from each tribe, to survey the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And while it was, it was grand and glorious and there was much good there, there were also giants in the land. And there were also enemies there. And two, two spies came back and said, it is fantastic. The grapes are amazing. You know, it's, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. We need to go over. We need to conquer it. We need to move forward. God has given this to us. And then the other ten had this evil, fearful report. The people of Israel listened to the ten that gave the evil report. And God judged them for that. And it seemed that God was going to wipe them out there. And what did Moses do? If you look at, at Romans, or I'm sorry, Numbers 14, 17, he prays this to the Lord. And now, please, let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. What is Moses doing? He's taking God's word from Exodus when God promised that very thing to his people. And he's saying, Lord, remember, remember what you said. Remember your promise. And we as people of God need to do the same thing, to stand on the promises of God and say, Lord, here is your promise. 
Lord, fulfill your promise in this situation according to your will and for your glory, we ask. We need to pray God's word back to him. Praying with confidence means that we obey as well. Sometimes our prayers are ineffective because of our disobedience. Because sometimes as we pray, the Lord leads us to recognize sin in our lives. And perhaps it's, it's, it's a sin we've committed and not realized that, that we've been doing it. Perhaps it's something we've sh- been shown that is in our heart that we didn't see before. Or perhaps it's new obedience in ways in which we need to step forth and be obedient to God's word. So praying a prayer of faith with confidence means obeying what God's word says. But sometimes we're just called to wait. Sometimes it's not a matter of obedience. It's not a matter of necessarily praying more fervently. It's a matter of waiting. So praying a prayer of faith with confidence sometimes means watching and waiting and looking and hoping and remaining steadfast in prayer. So the prayer of faith is informed, it is confident, and it is also dependent. Now you think about those two terms, and often we think as confident, the term confidence meaning independence. Okay, we think of a person that's like Rambo that can go in and take out an army all by themselves. Okay, they're confident. But no, we can, we can and should be confident in our prayers and dependent because we're confident not in ourselves but in God. And we are dependent on God as well. So the prayer of faith is a humble dependence upon God, knowing that He alone is our helper, provider, and healer. We're taught, of course, this in the, in the Lord's Prayer, or the, or the disciples' prayer, when he, he told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. It looks to God as the source of our provision, which is only right and good. And, and we seek to be reminded of that as we return thanks for meals. So the prayer of faith is a dependence upon Christ as our advocate and intercessor. Hebrews verse. Uh, Chapter 4 reminds us that Christ is our intercessor, that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is our great high priest who has passed into the heavens, and we need to look to him as our advocate and intercessor. This idea of dependence teaches us that we need also to depend upon the Holy Spirit to help our prayers. Romans 8.26 reminds us how the Spirit helps us in our weakness to to take us, even even when we can't find words to express the pain that's in our heart and the things that we're agonizing over. The Spirit helps us in our prayers. This idea of dependence gives us a quiet resignation to God's sovereignty because we have to recognize that it's more about Him than it is us. It should give us encouragement to prayer. We, we often feel like our prayers fall short and, 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 and we, the, the devil reminds us of our own sin and, and we should confess our sins, but, but we should continue to pray and to press forward and to look to Christ in our moments of weakness and even our moments of foolishness. David in Psalm 34, which was really not David's best moment, 
Because if you read the heading of that psalm, it's when he, when he feigns madness in front of Abimelech. And he's, you know, he's, he's acting like a crazy man. Yet his faith in God is strong. He says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Praying with a Godward dependence seeks to maintain a firm resolve that our spiritual life supersedes our physical life. And I want to say this carefully because I know especially this week, many are sick among us. And, and, and God has blessed us and, and we, it, it is good to pray for healing. It is good to pray for strength. It is good to pray that God would, would restore us to health in times of sickness and weakness. But we want to realize that God in doing that is, is working for our spiritual good as well. To, to illustrate this, I, I thought of, of, of something I heard in a class that, that I took recently and, and heard a lecture from David Pallison. If you, if you know of his ministry, uh, he, he went to be with the Lord just a, a couple years ago. But, but he had a, a wonderful way of saying things and, and he was challenging the class to, to, to think spiritually about the way we pray. You know, because if you're in a small group or if you're in a prayer meeting um, and, and you, you share prayer requests, you might say, you know, pray for this physical ailment, pray, uh, pray for traveling mercies as we, as we go to visit family. He said, what if you prayed like this? He said, say you're getting ready to go to your parents for Thanksgiving and instead of just praying for the usual traveling mercies or whatever, he says, what if you pray and you really got real? And you said, you know, when I go to my parents, I, I kind of revert to kind of a childlike thinking, and I get really lazy, and I just let other people help with the meal and do the dishes. Would you pray that, that I would, would over, seek to overcome that and, and repent of that and seek by God's grace to be helpful? That's just a small thing, but that's honoring to God. And that's dealing with the heart as, as the way it really is. So let me ask you, what, how, can, how can God work in your sickness? How can God work in your coronavirus? How can God work in your suffering? Make that part of your prayer. Certainly pray for healing. We, I love everyone here, but we're all going to die. But you know what? By God's grace, if we are in Christ, we're going to live forever. And this life is passing away. And, and what we should be doing in this life is seeking to honor God in everything and in every circumstance, in every trial and in every pain. So the prayer of faith is informed, it is confident, it is dependent, and it is hopeful. Prayer is a faithful persistence which trusts God's goodness and recognizes that He works when and how He chooses. So we need to recognize that when we pray, we should have confidence, we should be dependent upon God, but we can pray with hopeful expectation, knowing that He delights in doing us good. Colossians 4.2 tells us, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. James has talked about this idea of steadfastness. What does it mean? Well, I think here it means that we continue with resolve, with persistence, and fervency, just keep praying, Colossians calls us. So what about then the mystery of unanswered prayer? 
Because sometimes we pray and we pray, sometimes for years, and we don't receive the answer that we're, for which we are praying. I think this is something we need to wrestle with. We need to consider. We need to struggle with it a bit. But we also need to recognize that anytime God answers prayer, it is, it is of His grace. H.B. Charles, in his book, he says, what about the mystery of answered prayer? In other words, we don't really deserve anything from God. And we need to glory and marvel in the fact that God does hear our prayers. Yet there are times in which we continue to pray and we seek to be persistent. We, we seek to be continuing steadfastly in prayer. In those times, we have to trust because sometimes God's answer is no. Because He is doing what is truly best for us, and we don't always know what is truly best for us. Sometimes the answer is to wait. But always God is working for our good, our real and true good, our spiritual good. So actually the answer to prayer is always yes. Yes to our good. Yes to our Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness, yes to our personal holiness, yes to our growth in grace. So God is at work, even though we can't see it, God is at work in His people. We must be persistent in prayer. I have a good friend that, that I went to high school with, and he was the youngest of, I think, uh, five. Uh, he has, has four siblings, three brothers and a sister. And his oldest brother walked away from the faith when he was a young man and um, is now 60 or, or past and spent much of his life professing to be an agnostic. Of course, his parents were, were godly people. I knew them well. They were close friends of our family and, and the, the parents prayed for them. And, and um, in time, one of the middle brothers got cancer and he knew he was facing his death. And he asked his, his older brother, he said, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm not long for this world. I'm going to be facing the Lord soon, and I'm ready for heaven. But what do I tell mom and dad about you when I get there? And this man couldn't get around that question, and his brother died. And he knew that he could not spend the rest of his life saying, oh, I'm an agnostic. I can't figure it out. He knew he had to wrestle with his faith. He knew he had to wrestle with his own soul. And was he right with God? And that man was gloriously saved. And that man now is on fire for God and can't tell enough people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Those parents never saw their son come to faith and really get right with God. But God answers prayer. Sometimes it's years later. In a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn that talks about our prayers our petitions that we lay before the Lord. It's by John Newton, and it says, Come, my soul, thy suit, prepare. Now, that's not talking about a suit like this that you take to the cleaners and get ready for a, a wedding. The, the suit that, that the, the author is talking about is our petitions, what we lay before the Lord when we come to Him in prayer. And He's inviting us, prepare your petitions to the Lord. And He says, Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray, therefore he will not say thee nay. In other words, he won't turn away from our prayers. He continues, he reminds us, thou art coming to a king. 
large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. I think sometimes we fail to pray bold prayers. I think sometimes we fail to pray big prayers. We think, oh Lord, here's a little prayer. I think you can handle this one. I know we don't really think that, but I think in practice, that's kind of how we come across sometimes. And, and sometimes think in that way. But are we praying bold prayers? So we need to have, and as part of this hopefulness, we need to have a confident expectation that God delights in our prayers, that he hears our prayers, and that he will answer our prayer. James 4, 2, as we looked at previously, says that we have not because we ask not. And then, then we have not because we ask that where it's simply upon our own desires. But what prayers are we praying for for God's glory? What big thing are you asking of God? I ran across an illustration and I, I, had, to re, I had, to, had to go look at it myself, but but um, a few years ago, and maybe you, you remember seeing the video about this, but a few years ago, there was a Canadian airline that decided to do this promotional piece around Christmas time, where they had a screen in an airport, and on that screen was the image of Santa Claus. And they did it, of course, with a, with a, a camera, and, and the, the amazing thing was Santa Claus knew about these passengers and, and called them by name, and he asked them, of course, as as Santa Claus is supposed to do. What do you want for Christmas? And so the film, uh, the video showed these passengers relating to Santa Claus, what they wanted. Some, you know, children wanted a train set or a, or a smartphone. Somebody had the, the nerve to ask for a big screen TV. And then they got on their flight, probably feeling warm and fuzzy after their encounter with the virtual Santa Claus. Well, lo and behold, what part of this promotion was is they had employees then scramble at their destination to buy and wrap these gifts. And so the, it showed the passengers then waiting at the baggage claim for their, for their suitcases, and instead, here came the packages. Here come these beautifully wrapped presents with their name on them. And of course, then they, they filmed them and showed their reaction to, to just what they had wanted. Amazing. And then kind of the, the capstone of it all was when they put that big screen TV on the conveyor belt. and They had to lift up the, the, the door to the outdoors to fit it on. And, and here comes this big screen TV to the amazement of these people that had mentioned it. But imagine the embarrassment of the man who had just asked for socks. There was literally a man who asked for something like that. And I think it's kind of like us when we go to the Lord. We think, oh, we just need some socks. Lord, would you provide the socks? When he wants us to ask for big things. Now, I'm not saying go ask for a big screen TV. I'm saying simply ask for things for God's glory. Don't be ones that consume it upon your own desires, as James warns us in chapter 4. But ask for big things from God. What are you praying for? Are you praying for healing from cancer? Press on and pray for that. Pray for that for God's glory. I hope you're praying for revival. I hope you're praying that God would send forth missionaries from our ranks here at Christ Church to take the gospel to the corners of the earth. I hope you're praying for the lost to come in and hear the gospel and be saved. I hope you're praying that this church would be filled not for our own good, but so that the gospel may go forth. 
I would love to see in, a, in two or three years that, that this church would be so full that we would be forced to plant a church. Would you join me in that prayer? What big prayers are you praying for God's glory today? May our prayers be informed. May they be confident in a great and a glorious and a mighty God. May they be dependent upon Him, knowing that He delights to give us good things. And may they ever be hopeful and persistent to continue steadfastly in prayer. Let us go to Him in prayer.